0: a failing male-female relationship. Ironically enough, that's why I begin picking people up. I pick a girl up, and I'm going a little further each time. It's a daring kind of a thing. And this craving, this awful raging eating feeling is inside me. I could feel it consuming my insides, this fantastic passion. Fantastic passion? It's a good phrase, no?
1: left us completely shook, yet in awe, when he portrayed Ed Kemper, the co-ed killer on Netflix's true crime series, Mindhunter. On today's episode, we bring season two to one hell of a finale with our sit down with actor Cameron Britton of Netflix's hit series, Mindhunter, and upcoming series, The Umbrella Academy. We had a chance to sit down with Cameron and talk about the paranormal along with his first paranormal experience. We also tap into the world of true crime and what it was like to be in the mindset of a serial killer, Ed Kemper. We also discuss what it's like to be working with the gorgeous Jonathan Groff, and cracking jokes with Mary J. Blige. So you definitely don't want to miss our season two finale with our sit down with Cameron Britton. So sit back and relax and grab a delicious slice of pizza or maybe some delicious egg salad sandwich as we bring season two to a close with episode 27, Getting Holly Weird with Cameron Britton. So, if you've landed here at Hollyweird Paranormal, it's clear you're a fan of mystery, mayhem, and the unexplained in Hollywood true crime. I'm Dr. Shiloh, a former cop.
2: And I'm Dr. Scott, a former Hollywood entertainment professional. We're now both forensic psychologists working in Southern California.
1: Are you fascinated by the internal processes of criminals? Do you wonder, how could they do that?
2: In each episode of our podcast, LA Not So Confidential, we dissect the nexus where true crime, forensic psychology, and entertainment meet.
1: We'll serve up fascinating cases viewed through the lens of human behavior, delivered with our signature gallows humor.
2: You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play at LA Not So Confidential. We're ready for download and subscription. You can also follow us on Instagram at L.A. Not So Podcast and on Twitter at L.A. Not So Pod.
1: Come and join us for L.A. Not So Confidential.
0: Everything was right. Welcome to
1: musical theater. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, so we're rolling. Hey, boo, hey. So we have a treat for you all. And uh, it's been something that we've been, you know, lightly posting on our social media. <laughs> uh, Bryce, do you want to give him a guess?
2: Do you just want me to sit here silently while they guess?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> guess now. That was a really good guess. That
1: was a really good guess. Guys. You're wrong. That <laughs> was a good guess. <laughs> Something very exciting is happening. We we're having pizza, but we're having pizza with Cameron Britton from Hunter guys.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, hi. Hi, everybody. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Hollywood Paranormal. So uh, of, of course, whenever we have someone on our podcast, we ask them, do you have a paranormal story you'd like to share as part of the initiation process?
0: I do have <gasps> a paranormal, and I, I thought I didn't, but I, I do. That's right. We are unearthing deep, dark secrets here. Yeah, I was pulling out of my childhood <laughs> psyche. So it's not scary; it's a fun one. Love it. Uh, when my— um, pardon me—when my my parents divorced when I was three, uh, and so my dad was just one of those dads who's just moving from apartment to apartment, and one of the places he stayed with he wasn't a wealthy man but one of the places he stayed was uh with this guy hill and i remember being kind of hiding behind my dad's legs and watching this dude and then pretty instantly like oh you're not much to worry about you're kind of adorable but it was it was only something i had seen in movies like bill and ted's excellent adventure mm-hmm. hill is very much like what's up dude what's up little bro like, come on in the house little man like it. straight up like it's good day man what are we doing what are we getting in are you watching cartoons like that was hill long-haired
1: please tell me he had played the air guitar
0: uh, probably, yeah. It was all ripped jeans, like a straight stereotype. Like, you just couldn't, imagine, even as a kid, I was like, people aren't like you. My dad had just tickled them, but they were work buddies. And and uh, he'll had a girlfriend, and he lived in this old house. And when we, we got to the house, he told my brother, I'm the youngest, so my brother and sister and I, he said, all right, little dudes, I'm going <laughs> to warn you about this situation. Okay, the lady who lived here old lady happy lady but she died here like in the house and she's still here like a ghost style you know what i mean so like she's not gonna bug you she's not like rude or anything but she's around man you gotta be careful like at night she'll make sounds and stuff she sleeps in the kitchen like on the table like i'll go in like to get a drink and she'll be sleeping on the table so like that's where she's at. So, what? You know, like, nah. why is she sleeping on the fucking table? <laughs> There's to no this way to day? take that seriously. I, I don't know. Well, In how could, kitchen. yeah. And we thought, to a degree, you know, we're kids, but like, this has got to be a joke. And yes. It's certainly not scary. <laughs> Especially you know? coming out of this dude. <laughs>
1: it's hard to
0: be scared of that. Um, but sure, like, you know, they'd have weird little things. Uh, like, she didn't seem to like the girlfriend. So whenever she'd go out to the house, to the garden or whatever, she'd come back and the house would be locked. Like the old lady and like just yeah. shut her out. <laughs> so she just wasn't feeling it. But the one the one weird one, we were we were all sleeping and we heard a glass breaking in the middle of the night. Everyone gets up and, and starts tracking it down. It was in the bathroom and the bathroom window had been shattered. Uh, but it had been oh. shattered from the inside out. All the glass yeah. was out in the garden. So that was uh i couldn't explain that one I went, oh, okay and then my mom said she's seen a ghost up at my old family camp it's actually on a podcast recently my uh what is, it, what is that there, there was a house that uh, it's the ghost no i will <laughs> leave this think, no. <laughs> no. there was a house that we old farmhouse my family has old camping grounds um so that that was built in the 1800s uh that house and i think maybe four or five family members have passed in it and when you go in it you know even in the dead of summer it's just cold in there it's it's very strange it's now really run down i think we'll tear it down but
1: no pun intended
0: yeah (laughs) and uh but but they're like in the 30s my great grandfather's uh brothers one murdered the other with an axe there Um, So it just feels dark and intense. My mom saw a ghost there. But those are really (laughs) my own. I I do have one that's not a ghost. That's a pretty funny story as well. Please. Oh, please share. Go.
1: Yeah, we are here for the booze,
0: the true crime and everything. This one, mom, if you're listening. Hi. It's time you know. (laughs) Uh, She won't hear this. Um, (laughs) Literally, no. 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 So another house that was built in the late 1800s and my fa- my family has a lot of like old sheep herding property it. sure Been <laughs> in northern california forever mm-hmm. uh we make wine up there that's what we do we're farmers so i grew up in a vineyard uh oh, wow uh not in the vineyard in a house in the vineyard and uh, <laughs> so this is a really old house i grew up in and uh my great great grandfather built it paul bondy uh and my mom's just she's just ghost she's just all ghosts she's certain every house she's in there's a ghost so this one of course being her ancestor paul bondy she's very cozy that he's around you know he's a bit of a jerk but uh she likes that anyway so uh. right? she just likes it so uh <laughs> this would be about it would be over 15 years ago i'd say not not quite um uh, my brother the older brother is the black sheep of the family and he eventually you know even high school my mom said you can't live here anymore you're just pissing me off so much they're great now they're Mm -hmm. great great close anthony has really came around Mm -hmm. but uh when she was out of town he'd go back to the house and throw huge ragers uh and then sometimes clean up sometimes not uh In this case, I think he only had a handful of folks over. I wasn't there. And they went to bed. And one of the crazier people he'd hang out with, one of the weirder bridge folks, was this (laughs) this guy named Pat. And Pat would just get into, he'd just find himself in the nuttiest situations. He woke Anthony up at 3.30 in the morning and said, Hey, man, I made a mess. I made a mess. And to this day, nobody knows what Pat was doing or why. But Anthony goes and follows Pat to the laundry room. It was connected to the house, but just outside of it. It opens the door, and the laundry room is all white. I mean, it has been covered from top to bottom in fire extinguisher powder. Uh, and in center is this smoking, smoldering, uh, half-destroyed five-gallon bucket that he had lit on fire. We don't know for what or for why. You know, this guy was a nut. Again, my brother doesn't hang out with this guy anymore. But (laughs) my brother used to get into some nutty things. And being drunk and high and tired, he just said, I don't know what the fuck. I'm just not going to deal with this. And he went to bed. And then he forgot about it. And so he didn't cover his tracks. And a couple months later, he happened to come by the house. They had him on. They're sitting on the patio drinking a glass of wine. And my mom mentioned this... Situation with this burnt bucket, and it came back to him like, "Oh my God, I'm about to be busted. You're about to come clean. Like I know you just came to my house, burn a bucket, and then, you know, put it out with this fire extinguisher." But she s- surprised him by saying that she thought that Paul Bondi, her great great <laughs> grandfather, had yes. had had saved the house. That she believes that the son was coming through you're learning more about my mom now the sun was coming through the glass in the laundry room in such a way that it created it what a magnet does with the sun yeah in in just burnt this bucket in the middle of the room (laughs) and then that paul Bondi had picked up the fire extinguisher and and handled the business and and put it out and you know you're free, you're scot free. You are you not. Yes. You're, your mom wants to believe Seriously? that her ancestors watching after her are like <laughs> totally fine, giving her that room instead of yep. finding out her eldest is once again a disappointment. So he just nods like, yeah, totally. That must be it. She's <laughs> like and chugging then, the wine. And again, this is two months later. Again, he he says, <laughs> he she 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 throws him another gift. She says, uh, "Do you want to see it?" And leads him to the room and opens it and. And it's still covered in the powder. The bucket is still sitting in the room. And she's (laughs) leaning on on the door and just looking in. She's all wistful. She says, sometimes I just get a chair and a glass of wine and I just sit here and I just look at it and know that Paul's watching me.
1: Oh, oh, my gosh. She, yeah. she comes in with a glass of wine. She pours a little one down for the homie. And she exactly. throws, like, rose petals around.
0: <laughs> exactly. And, oh, and Anthony's just nodding. like Yeah, yeah wow. 100%. And, and secretly, you know, he's, you know, holding it in suppressing laughter. And in his brain, it's just, call Cameron, call Cameron, call Cameron. Ah. <laughs> I must tell him that we got another mom story. Oh, my gosh. She's just so fun, goofy. She is so connected with ghosts and things.
1: Does she always call you and say, Cameron, I just saw a ghost.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, we we visited. She was in a new place. We visited and she says it smells like we were in the guest room. She's like, "Okay, over here's the kitchen and then we have this upstairs area and that's the guest room. Sometimes it smells like cigarettes because there's a ghost who smokes in there." And then she keeps walking like, "Okay, let's well, back up. It's yeah. Back up, it's back up." <laughs> and huh? and she's just certain that he's I don't know, this ghost is walking down the street. It's like, hmm, "That looks like a good house to to take a good ghost smoke in." And he pulls out his ghost <laughs> cigarettes, which smell like you know, real cigarettes, apparently. Wow. And then he, he has a little puff in the guest room on occasion, and then he... I feel know. like after this episode, like, children
2: across America will be like, no, the ghost did it, just to, like, see...
1: Exactly. Yeah.
2: If it will work to get them out of trouble, because that is the... The fact that she gave him that gift of, like, oh, it's a ghost, and he, like, yep, take yeah, that out. take that out. Yeah, That's yeah. amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. if your mom's into it. And I do. I common. I feel like women are more into yeah. the paranormal. I think that they're. I assume it's because oh, yeah. they're more empathetic and nurturing. Mm. And yes, and connected. we're into
1: the true crime and everything. Yeah. We're like we're into all of it. Yeah, you know, true Trump crime did put uh you know give us a good label. We're nasty women. So oh, yeah, nasty women. <laughs> yeah.
0: But I wonder what that is. Why they? You know, I had a roommate who. She said uh, she has had a poltergeist her whole life. Wow. What? You know? Yeah. It scratched the eyes out of her, a picture of her boyfriend. I'm pretty sure the boyfriend probably just did it, but (laughs) (laughs) blame it on the ghost. Mm -hmm. Poltergeist, ex-boyfriend, potato, tomato. There there you go. Just cast them out. This is interesting. Blame it on the ghost. Blame it on the ghost. In
2: general, and this is just you know we've been now 12 minutes in. It's time for a feminist rant from me. I think. Go
1: right ahead. I lasted as
2: long as I could. (laughs) Um, I think in general men are told not to let anything be unexplainable mm-hmm. i think we kind of in general are more black and white anyway at least i think i think in very black and white terms but then on top of that we are told like don't buy into like anything that's weird anything that's like different or like unexplainable and whether that's because of like very strict gender norms or whatever you want to call it i think also part of it is that like when you were saying like i think women are more open and when they see and experience things they don't shut that down whereas i think most of the time the people that we talk to who are non-believers are men and they're just like no that, that wasn't real. That didn't happen. Right. Or I can't explain
0: it by yeah. X, Y, or and Z. We're, we're also told to not connect. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't connect, you know, in general. Mm-hmm. You can't be too close to your parents or, you know, friends or whatever yeah. it is. Uh, and I'd imagine just being more open to ghosts would make ghosts more open to you totally you know i think i think there's a reason i mean it, it could be as scientific and easy speaking from the man's black and white brain of you know there's i met a dog the other day who was terrified of me just because i'm hmm. a male i'm like oh, a sexist dog but but <laughs> but it's you know it probably had a master who was male i heard it but but women are just, just better with pets totally. you know and it could be because they're less threatening but i like to believe it may be that but it it is also that there's just something in the air that women that women are yeah. more willing to connect with you, and be open with you. So, I think that ghosts uh, could uh, could absolutely pick up on that and be more willing to yeah to interact.
1: I agree. We do open ourselves a little more, and mm-hmm. I feel like we're more brave than most men. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, we do put, we do put ourselves out there, mm-hmm. um, and we are in some ways like yeah, we are like a protector. And I know that men are raised to be protectors, but women are also there to be protectors as well. And they're there to protect their children, to protect their own and, and mm-hmm. whatnot. So I believe that that's another reason why we're we're so open to the paranormal. Mm-hmm. We're so open and and more in tune with uh, and and obsessed with true crime as well. Because that was another article I was reading like a couple of months ago, why women were so obsessed with true crime and serial killers and it, it was the same reason I'm like we're more nurturing we're more protect we're like we're protectors I have
0: never thought about that you're yes. absolutely right most yes. of the true crime fans i know are female oh yeah it's so interesting
1: when i went to see hollywood and crime uh during the la film fest they brought up this amazing question why do you think women are so so obsessed with true crime and serial killers and they even brought up the show Dark Tourist where this guy went to um, this uh, this place where they gave uh, Dahmer tours. Oh, wow.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Jeffrey Dahmer tours. And there was a group of women. Like, it was majority of the group was women. And there was a group of seven women that were there on a bachelorette party. Wow. <laughs> and they yes. took him to the sites where he picked up his, no, where he was born. And then they walked to the site where he picked up his victims it was from a club and they went to the apartments where you know the victims lived which i thought was
0: and his victims weren't female which mm-hmm. is really interesting exactly
1: huh. yeah so yeah that's another thing too that i, I find so interesting as well as like why are women also very obsessed with true crime mm-hmm. and serial killers and
0: murders and stuff mm-hmm I mean, I've had a few ask me to marry him because of my. Heart. <laughs> I was just Ooh. going to ask you. Swoon! Yes. <laughs> Tell know. us. Go ahead. <laughs> <We're> like. <laughs> it was not who. I, it was when I was. That show was dropping. I was like, oh, I'm. I'm going to be a real panty dropper after this. I didn't <laughs> see that coming. Though one fellow did call me a very hot bear. Oh yeah, I, I could I was see that. Yeah. Single <laughs> and what, what my deal was, and I said I'm married, but, you know, if I'm not. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. I think about
2: it. See, look, you're already keeping yourself open. Next, yeah. a ghost is gonna hit on you. That's the yeah. only <laughs> next. That is That's the next it. logical step, and there are no other options. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't a ghost hitting on you be great? I know. As I, if it was cringe. a ghost of James Dean. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. no one else. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I think too. Um, it's funny because I have. So I actually was introduced. I had never even heard of like the true crime genre really mm-hmm. because we weren't really allowed to watch like very much television growing up and so that like concept didn't really register for me and it was my one roommate and she introduced me to this sort of obviously like I think almost everyone as an adult has heard of My Favorite Murder if you listen to podcasts and like they, that was like my intro into this like massive world i had no idea and i was very late to the party it wasn't like my roommate was like a day one listener for them (coughs) excuse me (laughs) karma i'm choking (laughs) on my own karma um and i had no concept of like how massive it the world was and so i'm like listening to these episodes like oh this is great and they were actually at the live show um on halloween as well and mm-hmm. so just like Wait, that, this halloween mm-hmm.
0: yeah they, you were there the one that I was you? I yeah you were i don't know if i can say it or not i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah like, th- sounds familiar yeah, it. <laughs> yeah.
1: we are yeah. two degrees of separation away from you know georgia hersark and Karen <laughs> are right here
2: yeah and so again like i had no idea how massive because like i yeah. would listen to the episodes and make like, it so interesting This is so fascinating but it was a woman who like cued me in to this entire genre and then it's been like so you know fulfilling i love it now but Mm -hmm. i definitely was not like an original fan technically thanks women
1: (laughs) a woman that popped your cherry bryce right (laughs) yet your true crime cherry. (laughs) goodbye
2: thank you this has been lovely
0: I, i i've always been fascinated in serial killers uh I used to, like, in, as a teenager, I would explain it that I just thought that, like, pa- passion has always fascinated me. It doesn't matter if it's about buttons, you know, but <laughs> for something to be, for something, because they're not crazy, they they know what they're doing. So mm. for that to still not stop you, to know the the ramifications of murdering someone, uh, you know, for you get put away, you know. But for that still to be something that you just need to do, and then you do it, and you're like, I knew I needed mm-hmm. that. Was I need to do that again? And then, as you see with killers, we we have pretty much all but proven they never stop. Wow. Yeah. Um, they may take time off, but consistently, the interval between uh, kills gets uh, quicker. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Kemper was that way. Ed Kemper was, you know, it just started getting more and more common for him to go out and kill. He had to keep, he admits that, just the time in between, you know. And it started with fantasies being enough and then the fantasies needed to be stronger and then that was enough and then he needed to play killer like he'd pick up somebody, uh, you know, in his early 20s. Probably two or three years he would pick up hitchhikers and just keep a gun under the seat and that was enough to get just to know I could pull it out and kill you that that was enough that satiated it and then after that no I need the gun you know under my leg and then eventually uh then he just had to start killing people wow but that I I guess it can't really you know that was a young me calling it a passion Mm. it's more of a compulsion or something Mm -hmm. um and an addiction too i feel like like there's that it's such a similar
2: cycle to the drug use cycle where you have to hit it harder and faster yeah, every time yeah because you're chasing that high of the first right
0: hit essentially right damn and uh yeah so so i guess they've always fascinated me particularly serial killers mm-hmm. uh mass murderers i can do with it <laughs> and, uh, but but i've just always found that to be interesting it probably started with zodiac I was watching mm-hmm. a documentary as a little boy because we had one tv channel and they decided to play that documentary and then <laughs> it ends and he doesn't get caught no. and like, i don't think i had ever known that i right. don't think i had ever experienced that information before like Oh, sometimes the bad guy gets away. And like that kind of level of bad mm-hmm. guy. And infamous, you know, he was national news. Yeah. Um, And they never caught him. Though, if you watch the Zodiac movie, which is David Fincher, same yes. guy from Mindhunter. Mm-hmm. So good. Um, he's certainly fascinated with serial killers. <laughs> uh, he, they pretty much spell it out. Like, this wasn't some sort of mastermind, which no killers are you know the hannibal Lecter, or john doe from seven another french movie which he regrets that bad guy because they're never these genius you know opera expert people um Hmm. he this guy wasn't that arthur lee allen he he was pretty easy to catch it was Mm -hmm. it was these counties screwing it up oh you know you can see zodiac yourself but uh it was interesting. That movie wasn't, you expect to see a lot of the killer in a yeah, very you small You barely amount. see yeah. them, yeah. It's about the <laughs> bumblefuck that, <Yeah>. is, <laughs> <laughs> that is that yeah. system, you know. Yeah. You know, pre-1977, we didn't have the term serial killer. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what these were. No. We didn't know how to defend against it. So that was late 60s, so it was a bumblefuck. Yeah.
1: It's true. We just we were we just had this discussion, just a brief discussion about that turn in 1969, mm-hmm. especially after the Sharon Tate and La Bianca murders that were committed by Charles Manson's family, and that was just the turning point of mm-hmm. like a serial killer. And I guess we can, can we go into Mindhunter? Can we start yeah. talking about more about that? Because I'm sure people are like, get him to talk about Mindhunter,
2: please. Well, uh, we do not give a fuck about you two. And Jonathan Groff. <laughs> and I, <laughs> yeah, we can yes. talk
0: all about it. I, uh, I can talk about Groff for the rest of this thing. Great, I'm in love great. Um, I'm I now, just want everyone to word.
1: know that we touched Cameron professionally, so it's in a way like we're one degree away from
2: touching Jonathan Groff. Oh, I just assumed I was married to Jonathan Groff.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: That's how it works, right? It's Hollywood rules. Yes. Oh, thank God. Jonathan, I live in the valley. Uh, Stop by whenever.
0: (laughs) I will uh, pass that on. He's like, I'm Uh, I'm filling the paperwork
2: for a restraining order as we speak. Yep, that that checks out. Yep,
0: yep. (laughs) Um, So, okay, so I'm not allowed to talk about, you know, however many seasons they do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't mention whether or not I'm in them till they're released. But I do know uh, from talking to the folks and stuff. And then what they've released. Um, there's some killers I can't talk about. Mm-hmm. But I know that they're interviewing Charles Manson in season two. That old so-and-so. And that old son of a bitch. And, <laughs> and it's played by Damon Harriman. And he's an Australian fellow who is short like Charlie and kind of looks like Charlie. And they got the makeup artist from the darkest hour, just won uh, best makeup, the Academy awards. Oh, yeah. He was also the makeup artist for uh, the Grinch, which I'm Oh wow. Oh, but my he, God. he didn't do a movie in between. He retired in, in uh, 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 Gary Oldman got him to come out and do, you know, his Churchill makeup. Wow. And now he's out of retirement. So he did the Mindhunter makeup and I, in in this man is going to look like Charles Manson and talk like Charles Manson yeah. it's pretty amazing and exciting uh, the other f- uh, focus you know Holden Ford and Bill Tench mm-hmm. are now taking their knowledge and not just spending their time interviewing now they're going to take it to the streets and see if they can apply their new studies uh, and they're going to hope to track down the Atlanta child murderer
1: oh, oh my god
0: Uh, probably one you guys know at least you know mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. um, most folks do not and have not heard of uh, uh, William uh, uh, Wayne Williams
1: yes uh, there was a podcast dedicated to it it was called uh, Atlanta Monster Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah oh have you not hit it is just take the time to listen to it
2: heartbreaking too so again like what you were saying just like it just feels like so possible to solve it so much earlier, and yeah. you just think like this has to stop, and like surely it can't go on or get any worse. And, yeah, and uh, it was,
0: and then there was so much confusion, like yes. which, which, are this person killing, because it was. I mean, sometimes it was like four times a week mm-hmm. there'd be, uh, yeah. and uh, so John Douglas, uh, the the Holden Ford, the real man, um, he he was. He was he ran that case, you know. Wow. Once once the police were just screwing it up so much, uh, they eventually called the FBI in, which is a win win for them because if the FBI figures it out, then everyone's happy. And if they fail, they can blame it on the FBI. Mm-hmm. Police often hate the FBI. They
1: do. Yeah. So
0: so John Douglas, and I'm sure mine Hunter will cover it extensively and accurately. But he was a part of catching the dude, wow. interrogating the dude, and then part of the prosecution. How to best, I don't want to give it away, but no. it's like a movie. You watch it like this can't, this has to be fiction. The way in which he helped uh, show the prosecutors how to get Wayne Williams behind bars wow. in the courtroom itself. Uh, and that that's really, you know the FBI profiling unit and credit to them they're not just catching these guys they're interrogating these guys no. and they're helping courts put these guys behind bars they help show you you know say say a serial killer killed 8 people with a knife and one <laughs> with a gun the court will often say well we're not going to try to put him up for the gun killing cuz it doesn't fit with his mm-hmm. uh MO or his signature and an and FBI agent can help explain no this this can still be the motives can still be the same just because it's not the same signature doesn't mm-hmm. mean you know, Kemper killed from strangulation, stabbing and shooting
2: wow yeah. and I think too it's so interesting you had kind of touched on it but we didn't know how to defend I think it's such a powerful statement that you said of like America I think in general was so innocent and like all of the 50s and then there was sort of like sort of I don't even know what the right word is, but like a rebellion of sorts in the '60s because of mm-hmm. that sort of like flower child culture. But it still was very naive, even though they were quote rebelling. It was very, like I would not do many like hitchhiking, all of these festivals, all of the free love, free drugs. Like right. those were very common naive practices. That Sleeping set, with your
1: doors unlocked. Yeah, you and know? it was
2: all just a hotbed. And I love that of that thought of like there are people who were like no we have to catch up with the people who are taking advantage of this like idyllic culture that we lived in at the time mm-hmm. makes me sad but i just love it so much
0: it is interesting you say that and it was one of my one of the parts of mindhunter that found that was the most fascinating uh to me as far as kemper goes it was was briefly mentioned in the show uh and had they spent more time on it i Maybe maybe you guys remember this part, but Kemper discusses what it was like to go and... He killed his grandparents at uh, 15, and he went to a mental institution for six years. He came out at 21, and when he came out, everything he knew and understood mm. about the world was a very 50s style. I mean, this is mid-60s, so mm-hmm. it was still 50s parents and bringing and when he got out everyone his age was no longer straight laced Mm -hmm. they were loose and free and wild and and he just he could not have felt more out of place trying to you know date go on a date with a girl or you know of course his mother is in his ear saying you'll never be with a girl um that was one of her things allegedly of course um it's impossible. No serial killers are just lying for the mm-hmm. goddamn. He seems to be one of the more candid ones, uh, but yeah, I just found that fascinating that that not only was he six foot nine, you know, and felt enormously out of place. Mm. You know, he was six foot by the time he was twelve. Jesus. And oh my
1: God. Yeah. Oh my and so God. he
0: felt really out of place, and then, you know, you get you get these these uh, wild women his age and he just he just felt so uncomfortable and out of place and he was weirdly polite to women the, the killing was not the part hmm. that interested him he wanted he you know he, he wasn't crazy he knew that they weren't going to play house with him so he'd kill them and then get to play house and pretend wow. that they were dating and oh. so so the killing part and it's mentioned again in the shows let's get it over quickly you know I i kind of was frustrating because he'd see movies and think you just shoot someone and they die instantly. But that's not the case. Mm. You know, you stab someone, they die. It takes a long time for them yeah. to just leak out. Oof. And so, you know, he, he tried to get it over as quickly as possible so he could, he could play boyfriend and girlfriend, but he mentioned, and we don't mention it in the show. I, I, I feel like it was a missed opportunity. He, he, would Dear Netflix, Dear Netflix. <laughs> I have some thoughts. I still do. I still bug. I'll still email David Fincher it. and That's be like, amazing. I just read something interesting about a serial <laughs> killer. You should hold him forward. Um but he would you know, he was once stabbing a woman in the chest and or towards the torso and he he wouldn't stab them in the breast mm. because his hand might touch their breast and that was inappropriate. So he aimed to the belly because he didn't want to, you know, he even said he, one point he accidentally touched a breast of a woman he was killing and he apologized to her while he was killing. He he said something like, "Oop, sorry. Uh, just a weirdly polite. I think he, I think he, I think he's that anomaly. Part of the fascination with serial killers is like he doesn't, he doesn't care about human life, but he cares about human perception. Hmm. Like mm-hmm. he, how do, how are you willing to take someone's life away from their families and everything, but you still care about what people think of you? It's really it's an enigma to me.
2: It's a compartmentalization mm-hmm. to its like nth degree. Like for him to be able to separate those two things like one of the utmost respect
0: while also like the utmost violation is mind blowing it is and he and he knew it he knew he was good at it mm. I mean he had the cops fooled he'd go to the cop bars exactly. and chat with them they were buddies wow you know, and yeah. that's what
1: he was trying to do with Jonathan Groth's character and I my biggest question for you is has he ever reached out to you or tried to reach
0: out to no, you? No, no. I thought you meant
2: Jonathan Groff, and I was like, Oh, you too. <laughs> what? He could reach line? out to us as yeah. well. <laughs> I text
0: Groff, and maybe a few days later, he's back. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh,
2: he's busy though. I guess doesn't break my heart every time. He's, he's planning our wedding. It's very serious and formal. Yes, but I guess I, I speak
1: for a lot of our listeners. You, you just completely exemplified him so well you really did and I know that there were a few questions that we had a couple of our listeners uh, sent to us one was uh, how did you prepare for his role and Mm -hmm. how did it affect you mentally and physically and emotionally and the second one was did he ever Ed Kemper did he ever try to reach out to you or communicate with you
0: he has yet to try to reach out Um, I've spoken with a couple People used to work at the California Medical Facility, um, but none that that work there now. So I don't really know what his if he's seen the show mm. or his perception. I've been asked a lot if I would if I met him, and I, I didn't and I wouldn't. Um, there's there's like eight reasons why. Mm-hmm. Um, easy ones like I'd be just as scared as anyone. Um, a moral one I just think. I might kind of sort of be there to look at the the beast in the cage, and that's really inappropriate. You know, I know a part of me that would just be fascinated to see the... It's like people would go to public lynchings and mm. things. It's mm. um, just a weird... That's why we slow down on wrecks on the freeway. We're just weird uh, humans. So I don't <laughs> like that part of me. Um, yeah. And then I do think... I just guess that he would get his rocks off mm. I mean, he would he would just really enjoy an actor traveling to him to the promised land to <laughs> you know you know suckle from his knowledge and all Oof, that yeah i got a little too graphic cameron you can describe it differently nope. I'm sorry <laughs> that's about the only it. way to describe it everyone's <laughs> well, imagining like me nursing off of Ed camper now uh just like an egg <laughs> fan Kemper. fiction alone
2: is yeah. just pouring out Just well, yeah. like
1: you said it's human perception i mean that's what i'm sure he would have like wanted to know what you thought about about mm. him as well
0: yeah mm-hmm. so um so, yeah, I get that question a lot um but yeah, I just I, I i still think I often think like one day it's just gonna be a letter in the mail and and I'll have it from him uh, <laughs> but no, he hasn't I know he he stopped correspondence with with all his pen pals uh he just doesn't feel like they truly genuinely want to be his friend. Mm-hmm. I don't know about all of them, but many of them um and then the other question was if it if it uh What it did to my psyche. (laughs) Uh, Well, it was nine months. Wow. From beginning to end, in character, I turned down every other audition because there were months in between, but I would just stay in that headspace. Wow. Um, I can look at it now and break it down pretty easily. It was confusing and scary at the time, but Mm. yeah, I had some dark thoughts and I couldn't shake them. Wow. And, 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 you know, my wife would... Sometimes I wouldn't be able to look at her and say, I just need to be in another room, you know. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah, it was was really... You know, my mom came to visit, and she didn't know it at the time. But when she left, I, I mean, I was really emotional when she left because I just had these dark impulses and things. Um, I I think what it is is fascinating or boring. depends on who you are. It's quite scientific. Uh when you enjoy something endorphins are released that's how addiction to alcohol happens you know mm-hmm. every time that liquor hits your tongue endorphins are released so your body wants more of that so in this case i enjoy acting mm-hmm. endorphins are released when that happens my character has dark thoughts so my body eventually started producing dark thoughts to produce endorphins wow. so once i sort of realized that we're done shooting and the character won't leave me alone And I realized, oh, this is just like Pavlov or some shit. Then I, then I, I almost helped. Like I just knew, well, then just kick the habit. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like any habit you need to kick. And, uh, and I've I've been better since. I just, you know, I'm back to, you know, being silly. Uh, (laughs) uh, So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Any other? I, I, I hardly ever get to talk to fans I love talking yes. about Mine hunters
1: those two questions were from Flower Mama 5 Hi. and Crunchy Gordita Taco Bell Waitress so. that sounds
0: so good <laughs> it's a I'm, title there here's
1: yeah. another one this is from Echo Boy number 5 Adrian Robres he's one of our mega fans Hi. and I have one right here I had them okay. on my favorites
2: all I can think about now is a gordita and I, I <laughs> just saying
1: Let's see. Um, according to Adrian, uh, have you changed anything about the presentation of Edmund Kemper? I mean, is there a detail that was unique that you added to your presentation of Kemper himself? And the third one, how was your mood on set during scenes—peaceful, jovial, eerie, etc.? F.Y.I., just let him know that he is a freaking outstanding actor.
0: <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was from Adrian. Thanks, Adrian. Uh, so as far as how I was on set, uh, pretty lighthearted. Groff and I were singing a lot of show tunes. Oh, stop. <laughs> yeah? yeah. <laughs>
1: that is my dream. I mean, you just gave Bryce a lot of life. <laughs> and by
0: sing it together, I mean I'd start absentmindedly humming a bar. He'd come in. Make it sound good, and I'd stop. Yeah. You know, okay. Yeah. Well, we we'll let him go from here. Um, and the, the Bill Tench, the gruff older detective, mm-hmm. would you believe it? The dude can croon like you wouldn't believe. know. It's not this gravelly. It's, it's so beautiful. His mother was in um, Julie Wilson. She died pretty recently. Her, his mother was an old uh, cabaret star. She, I think she's in. Uh, 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 singing in the rain, oh wow, uh, oh, yeah, she's a, she was a star in her own right, um, and lounge singer. So, we'd all sing you know, a lot of light jokes. Everyone's working seriously and hardly, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. It, it, hardly, and <laughs> working seriously and frantically. You know, Fincher has a very tight ship, mm. but he lets actors do whatever they want because that's what act- actors need to be able to do, whatever they do, need to do to get in character. Some of us need to joke and keep it light if it was heavy that I'm taking my job too seriously for Kemper and it, mm-hmm. it just, you know, I needed a joke or two. Um, there was once or twice that I didn't feel like that coffee scene where I'm making him coffee. Mm. I just had the worst day. I just, that was my second day on set. And I just thought I was doing the worst, worst job, uh, as an actor. First day felt fine. Um, and, so at one minute I went into the corner and just sort of talked to myself for a while to get where I needed to go. Um, Groff was very helpful in that regard afterwards. <coughs> I called him, was like, Yeah, man, I know, you know, as you know how a bad job I did today and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, you're full of it. You're not full of it, you know, but you're 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 way off base, man. Mm. We could have used any of those takes. So uh, he was very, very helpful in that. I, I owe him. Uh, it was my first guest star. I was so wow. nervous, and and Groff was just he could not have asked for a better partner for this yeah. stuff. Such a giving actor. Uh, what were the other questions?
1: Um, what did you bring
0: to Kemper's character? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, a lot of folks say I was a lot like him, and I, I didn't really focus on being a lot like him. I noticed he keeps his glasses half an inch down his nose. And I just, it's weird when I do it. I kind of fall into him. Mm. Um, we have some similarities. Uh, and I stole a mannerism or a vocal inflection on occasion. And more importantly, I wanted his essence. Mm. It's an impossible thing to equate, but I try to get that. Mm. Um, after that, I mean, there was, it was all me. It was all, yeah. do your prep and just show up and be honest. Like, yes, Kemper is arrogant. Okay? Well, I'm going to be arrogant, but what's my version mm-hmm. of arrogant? You know? Mm-hmm. There was a lot of that kind of thing. Uh, the speech. I mean, I kept getting nervous. Like, am I talking just too slow? Is it getting too slow? And Finch famous for going fast. Mm. Um, but no it just felt right i mean it was very instinctual preparation um so i think that's i think that's the not to get too actory on you guys you guys are here oh, for
2: no uh, freaky no no, stuff, no it's fine it's i was fine. literally getting ready to ask you what your like your method was or what you use so. <laughs> the <So> method <laughs> we already know how know. you feel about that practice. i do not love the method that's true <laughs> <laughs> no, but the reason I was going to ask is because, like, when you said with the glasses, that's very like Chekhovian of like physical from the outside in, and like what that triggers in you, and like ah,
0: right, uh, yeah, I think I think acting is a hodgepodge of mm-hmm. many schools of thought. I think typically you end up with your own. You just yeah, 100%. start figuring it out by yourself. I love that. I really think it's that's what acting is, um, but. I, my my best example because I'm playing a real person in, in a lot of the things you're a lot of those lines are taken straight from interviews you can mm. watch of his on YouTube in fact someone did a comparison a split of me and him uh, and you're seeing I mean, it's the same lines yeah. you know? uh, but there's something like there's this movie Frost vs. Nixon mm-hmm. Uh, the Frank Langella plays Nixon. He was nominated for an Academy Award, and it's the most fascinating movie. These these interviews, the real interviews, and they're very famous interviews mm-hmm. in the '70s where Nixon you finally got him to admit about Watergate and apologize. In the only way Nixon, you know, in the very yeah. Nixon way. Oh, I remember. But that. It, it was a big deal, and the movie is just gripping. And then you go to watch those actual interviews, and they're it's like you know, watching paint dry. Uh, And that's sort of our weird job as actors. Like what is naturalism and what is realism? Naturalism is being actually just real life. Realism is that sort of interpretation of it. Kind of sounds like the same thing. I don't know why they chose those words to describe it, but Where does it? Where do you get too interesting till it's not believable, or where do you get Mm. too natural till it's boring? It's an it's a it's a wide line, but there's a line, and it's it's impossible to describe. Um, I think you just know when you know. Like Mm. we mentioned, Hannibal Lecter earlier. You watch that movie, you never met a human like that, and you never (laughs) will. It's not realistic in any capacity. Anthony Hopkins has admitted that it's it's you know this this is a theatrical performance. But we all buy it. We mm. all believe it. We all we're all there for it. Um, you know, Mindhunter was fighting against that. They wanted to show the true horror is that these people are like everyone else. Mm. But um, so yeah, that was that was a thing I kept asking myself when shooting it. Um, and it's kind of weird to see the split on YouTube because you, you, I do look really theatrical next to real life. Sure. Mm-hmm. But when you watch the show, most people feel like I'm pretty realistic. So it's a, it was an interesting thing.
2: I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier with whether or not you would ever visit him. It's this weird... Why would he get in a, any of the glory, if you will, from like your work, in essence? like You have created this. You have like made this character... And I I feel like in order like to visit him would be like giving him some sort of shared credit or like power I think in a weird way.
1: I can't remember oh, what movie it was for, but there was an actor back in the day that went. I think it was one of the Charles Manson mm. films, but he went to meet with Charles Manson mm. just to prep for the role. Yeah, mm. you mean, know, I mean, some
0: people folks very common, yeah, uh, Holt. Who plays Bill Tench, the other detective? Uh, he he's been trying to meet some of these folks. Groff does; he's not interested. Hmm. <coughs> Holt wanted recently. He said, "Why don't you, me, and Groff go meet Kemper?" <laughs> I don't want to go. I was so glad Groff said he didn't Richard, want to. Like... <laughs> exactly. Let's go to Vacaville yeah. can see all the sights. But yeah, my honestly, one of my concerns was the show could come out and make Kemper more of a household name. Hmm and I just don't want him to get that sort of recognition um, people often focus on the killer and not the victims mm. um, it's like the whole Breaking Bad moment when the Hank Hank's told the son uh, Alt Jr. Uh, that everybody knows Pablo Escobar but nobody knows the names of the guys who caught him um, John Douglas again the fellow who mm. who actually is you know holding forward the real life man still alive uh, he I was watching a a director's commentary on Silence of the Lambs, and they had him be a part of it. uh, And he had mentioned, uh, just speaking on victims versus killers and the focus, when he goes, he's invited to executions. And when he goes, he makes sure before he walks into that room to pull out the file and... And study the victims, look at their case, look at what happened to them, look at those photos so when he walks in that room, he's walking in for them and not for the killer. I know it's their execution but this day is not about them it's about these victims and it helps him uh, sort of feel a truth and a justice behind uh, death penalty Hmm. uh, which is important it's important that people remember that Folks, folks who I don't want to get too political, but
2: but, you are in the very right place. There are there are two things to
0: me that are polarizing and both sides are right. And Mm -hmm. one is is abortion and one is death penalty. Mm. I'm I'm actually pro death penalty and I'm pro choice. uh, But I understand the other side, like why you would want someone to die uh, just because they harmed another person or why we we would be able to choose that or why you should think it's okay to take a baby's life you know it's a fetus's life before they're born that both those sides make complete sense Mm. to me but it's important to remember that either side of those fights is about compassion Uh, and in the death penalty one is very much that there's not this vindictive good hang them high often it's it's, this is for the victims mm. in a way. Mm-hmm. You don't want to speak for them. I mean, we can go forever on these. These are two debates that can, that no one can ever mm-hmm. win because they're, they both, you know, sometimes, you know, there are things that are, both folks are right. Yeah. It d- depends on their intentions, I suppose. Some people, you know, you never know yeah. what what their intentions are, but, but if it's just a pure, you know, opinion of a side, I can see them both. Yeah. hmm <laughs> tangenting aren't I I love it I know but, uh, I but yeah John Douglas we got deep is, I, I liked uh, I liked his thought on the victims there
1: we have another question uh, this is ooh where's it from this is from Sicily, Hi. 505 and she wants to know what were you doing before Hunter? <laughs> hilarious yes. and uh, if uh, you can please marry her <laughs>
0: I am married already, so. Look at me. I, I know it's fine. But I am, uh, part Sicilian, so good on you there. Um, I. Okay, so I answered the married question. Yes. Mm-hmm. What were you doing
1: before Mindhunter?
0: What was I doing before Mindhunter? Um, well, I was a special needs preschool teacher for eight years. god. Wow. Oh and I, gosh. I. I was acting on the side with my friends at a theater. And I just couldn't uh, lie to myself anymore. I loved working with the kids. But I was working with the kids to be entertaining for them. Wow. You know, you're standing in front of a class dancing and singing. I just realized <laughs> I'm just supplementing and it's wearing thin. And mm. my real calling is this, this whole acting thing. So in 2013, I started auditioning. My first booking was a movie called Camp Dakota, with yes the, I saw yeah. that I love it Mamrie yes. Hart yes oh, my God. oh and Grace Helvick. I love Helvig that trio and yeah and it was fun and then I was on a show on Freeform mm-hmm. formerly known as ABC Family uh, called Stitchers I did that oh, for yeah. three years um, and, and in the second season of that I booked Mindhunter and now I uh, because of Mindhunter i have been able i shot something that just came out this weekend girl in the spider's web yeah i shot that early hey. in the year in the winter in germany and then i've spent six months in canada this year shooting something called umbrella academy which comes out on uh, february 15th for netflix it's a it. uh, superhero movie comic book cool
1: show. and you're shooting that with a very awesome woman
0: <laughs> yes my uh, partner in crime, and that show is Mary J. Blige. Oh my God! And we're, yes, we're good buddies. They're buddies. Yeah. <laughs> That's my, that is my like sweet. I could,
1: I could, I, yeah. I just like I die when he told it. He told me that.
2: I just feel like you're living like all of my like gay, <laughs> musical theater, like, fantasies. Like, I just want to see, I just want to sing with Jonathan. I, I want to do a lot of other things, too, oh. but I mostly want to sing with him. <laughs> and I just need Mary J. Blige to harmonize with me. And, That's like, right? you're living my whole world, That is great. Really, really that is
1: amazing. <laughs> when we were waiting for Bryce, Cameron and I were talking about it, and I was like, how is she? Is she? How is she? <laughs> how <did> is she? <laughs> just, like, I... I Believe that she's a part of the Illuminati because she does not age at yeah. all. Like she is, like she's like gorgeous. the
0: most fascinating woman you could possibly meet. Uh, nobody's lived, not hardly anyone. The world's lived a life like that. Mm-hmm. She spent the first twenty years of her life in Yonkers, New York, in the slums of slums of danger of terrifying horribleness, and then she spent ten years straight as a superstar, um, mm-hmm. and then. 15 years in a uh, suffocating marriage with this yep. th- infamously shit fellow.
1: That's a different episode. And now
0: <laughs> she's just Mary and she's Exactly. She's had this just fascinating life. When you meet her you see all three, especially the first two, the you, you see this girl from Yonkers, wow. you know, but then you see this superstar at times. And all underneath is just this big kid. Mm. just did, mm. And if you don't know her, you know, she may sit in the corner. She's just kind of quiet and keeps to herself. I think the perception of her line of work of hip-hop stars is maybe standoffish or divas or whatever. So if she's on set, people just don't approach her, uh, which is their loss mm. because she's... Once you get her to laugh once, then that's it. That's all she wants to do. I love is that. Just Oh my God. Chuckle and giggle and be silly. Braid Aww. my hair. Yes. 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 Go do you guys on. like
1: text yeah. each other pie recipes or something? <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> like, <Hi>. Mary, it's <laughs> cardamom. Oh my God. It was cardamom.
0: <laughs> Neither of us cook. No. <laughs> I'm just not, not cookers, us. No, no, no. no. Time. we're drinkers but we're not gonna like that <laughs> can you tell
1: our listeners uh, what to expect in umbrella Academy like what's the storyline sure
0: mm-hmm. uh, umbrella Academy is about seven children who are raised uh, they're all adopted and they're their surrogate fathers at the correct word? Mm-hmm. Uh, he it is now It yeah. is, now. <laughs> yeah that's, that's how words work you just uh, they're P- plerobian father uh, <laughs> if you will uh, to turn a new yes, phrase yes. Uh, he he raised them to be fighting machines since they were you know five years old wow. and uh oh my God. and he's a he's a pretty terrible dad uh so they become incredibly dysfunctional and now they're in their early 30s uh most of them are out of the crime fighting game their superpowers are just things they keep to themselves uh uh, then force them to be a family again come back together and try to uh, save the day. Uh, and I'm a, my, my character, Hazel, and Mary's character, Cha-Cha, are partners who <laughs> are, uh, we are uh, hired uh, by this organization as assassins to stop the good guys. Uh, we travel through time to do so that's that's our thing we're time traveling assassins together uh and i actually kind of i think i'm i think that's about all i'm allowed to say at this point but is this animated is it it's no it's live action uh Mm -hmm. it feels i'd say if anything it feels like watchmen okay uh it's that that superhero world that we all get it excited about because it's offbeat it doesn't feel like the others you know when guardians mm. of the galaxy came out or deadpool or the third thor like oh these seem like they're just a little unique mm. and they're a little mm-hmm. having a little fun and and that's this one for I sure it's got ellen page in it and then uh,
1: <gasps> oh my god wow and robert
0: <laughs> sheehan who's huge in europe mm-hmm. um i'm thinking he may may follow suit out here yeah uh, and then a bunch of other folks, uh, another, uh, Hamilton member, actually, Emmy Raver. Oh, wow. Is in it. Uh, yeah. It's Umbrella Academy. <laughs> Coming soon to a Netflix near you. I
1: know. I wonder if you guys had jokes on set, like, hey, Mary, you want to go assassinate this pizza at Kraft's or
0: something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd miss the theory a little bit. Like, like. It seems like a so fine line, uh, So, like, so Mudbound, she, she was nominated Best Supporting Actress. That's a, a, a Netflix movie. Yeah, someone
1: else was also nominated not too long ago. Uh
0: uh-huh. <laughs> we, were, we were Netflix nomination. Buddies. Yeah. And uh, thank you. <laughs> and and, uh, and 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 then she was also nominated for the original song for Mudbound. Mm-hmm. It was Mighty River. And we were doing a scene so by a good. river, and I kept bringing up the mighty river. It just makes her, you know, she just cracks up. She's like, it "Usually, shouldn't make me laugh, but you make me laugh. That's why I like it." But and then, you know, once in a while, I'd tell her that the sound of the rain against my window pane slowly driving me insane. Yes. Yes. It was cracked her up too. Oh my god, that makes me laugh. That's so good. You trying to find a way to segue? Like, please, some rain hit the window right yeah. now. to like, <laughs> give me a reason to say this. Lord, I don't ask for much. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a couple jokes like that. I love that. That is so. Cool. And then she, she hadn't seen Hunter till we started working together. <laughs> she calls, she calls, Ed, <laughs> she calls Ed Kemper the weirdest thing. She refers, she calls him Uncle Eddie. I don't
1: no, know why. I <laughs> don't
0: know why. She we goes, all have that crazy she goes, uncle. She goes, Cameron, Uncle Ed. She goes, listen. She always says, listen. She goes, listen. She goes, listen. She goes, listen. Yeah. Uncle Eddie is so fucked up. He's so <laughs> Uncle Eddie is so. Why are you calling him Uncle Eddie, Mary? She goes, I don't know. He's Uncle Eddie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, she
2: might want to unpack I that at some point. Yeah, exactly. I know exactly. I don't know. if it's. Think about it, girl. Freudian or what it is. Damn. <laughs> That's amazing. I know. I want shirts made with that on it. Mm-hmm. We're. He's somebody's uncle. Oh, yeah. Oh, Fortunately. Cool. Well, well, bless.
1: <laughs> well, we're about to uh, end this little episode, guys. We just want to thank Cameron. Thank you so much. For coming on our podcast. We're sitting down and drinking LaCroix, eating pizza with us. It's been a
0: pleasure. I keep turning my head to burp. It's... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Amazing. I'm sorry I tangented so much I no it's, I, I no, 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 it's, it's like it's an hour you know you guys want to keep talking you know
1: oh, if you want to keep on talking, we could keep on talking this has
2: been like, one of our more focused episodes it, it really, really is like oh, like yeah. you're sitting
1: here okay. barefoot and we're i mean we're shoeless and we're mm-hmm. like you know i only
2: went on one feminist rant like we are doing <laughs> like, just yes, fine. Yes. i'm full on stalking jonathan groff now so that probably <laughs> not great but it's fine well we had mentioned talking about the afterlife oh yeah oh my
1: gosh yes let's talk about the afterlife
2: yes i
0: had what?
2: No, 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 go on. That's just my, okay. <laughs> my, my body reaction. No, to
1: you afterlife. brought this up. Well, while we were waiting for you, Bryce, he brought up a really, really cool book that you just got done reading. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I read it a few years ago, but it's called uh, Proof of Heaven. Oh, wow. And it's about the afterlife. It was uh, it's a, it aptly named title. The writer, Eben Alexander, is a neurosurgeon, and he sets the book up to explain how little he believes in the afterlife uh and how many of his patients have told him they've seen it under his knife and ha- and he, he has very good reasons as to why they think that and then he has uh, he in real life got a debilitating illness that came on so suddenly that it put him in a coma and he spent that coma in the afterlife uh Uh, and he describes what it was like in great detail. Oh, my God. And as well as he can, really. He actually says something that's always stuck with me. He said it's so hard to explain what it was like. Uh, Imagine if a chimpanzee was given the full brain capacity of a human for Mm -hmm. one day and then had... To get his chimpanzee brain back, and had to go try to explain to other chimps what he had experienced. Wow, it's impossible. He says words are not equipped for the the feeling, the energy, the the, the we don't really have a word for this feeling. Um, but it is a fascinating book, Proof of Heaven. You know, mm-hmm. afterlife thing.
2: Love it. I'm always looking for something to read I on the know. train.
1: God, I wonder how a chimpanzee would try to explain the human brain to his friends. Like, dude, let me talk about social media, this thing about mm. social.
2: <laughs> I can't even explain social media to my friends. So don't <laughs> don't it's no, like no. explaining
1: it to your parents, mom. <laughs> There's Instagram. There's Facebook. Facebook? No, it's Facebook. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's my mom. Facebook. Well, yeah, it's, it's Facebook. And Instagram, <laughs> according to my mom, is insta <laughs> That's <Dead. awesome.
0: laughs> I love that. well those are my thoughts on the after i don't know if you guys, do you guys often talk about uh, afterlife on, the, on this uh some we've we've sort of
2: touched on it i think especially in like that first episode like your first experience with yes. paranormal and mm-hmm. so i was raised very religiously so there's a lot of like that kind of dogma sort of like that I believe a lot of and some of it I don't necessarily believe and or know what to believe. I think I've experienced things that we growing up would have said were impossible. Um, we weren't like a very Pentecostal kind of denomination of Christianity. So we didn't believe even like we would have been pretty skeptical of people who talked a lot about like guardian angels or anything like that, saints, anything. We would have kind of shunned that sort of rhetoric Um, and certainly not ghosts like absolutely not oh yeah Um, I as an adult have had to reconcile things that can't be explained by like my like we were talking about earlier like my logic or like well this must have been this Um, in particular I saw the ghost of someone who had recently died and it just was him and I like as much as like my upbringing fought against that. Like I knew what I saw and it was him and like the motion that he did and the hat he was wearing and, um, the sort of gesturing that he was doing towards a piece of this. He was a director and I was working in a theater and he was doing these things that were so just quintessential Roy. And then he just wasn't there And, you know, I went through all the, like, I'm tired, I must not be seeing it, but it just, like, kept replaying in my mind. Um, And I I still don't exactly know what that means, because, like, not to get super religious, but there's a verse in the Bible, and I think we've talked about this before, Mm -hmm. that says, like, to be absent from the body is to be, like, present with the Lord, and we use that to justify, like, there are no ghosts, and there's, you know, the good and bad sides of your decisions, and you are in the afterlife immediately upon dying and we would even probably sort of bulk against any kind of like, Oh, I saw a white light, any of those kinds of things. But as an adult with like my own set of beliefs now, there are just so many things that I can't explain and that like are so corroborated, like you were saying with this book that I think that we've touched on it. Sorry. That's a very long answer. Um, we've touched on it, but I think, you know, because there is so many questions and because so many people have different experiences talking to David Oman last week. Oh, yeah. His experience is completely foreign to me. I have no concept for what he's experiencing on like a near daily basis or minutely basis. Do
1: you know anything about David Oman? Mm-mm. I think I tried inviting you to his house for an in- for a ghost investigation when we're emailing each other because you're oh, because yeah. I was asking you about a paranormal experience you want to share. You're like, I don't have any. I'm like, well, I know that Bryce has a few. He'll love to trade mm-hmm. with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but David Omen is a gentleman that lives 200 feet away from where the Sharon Tate Manson murders occurred. So where his house is built is over a geometric anomaly where the electric magnetic fields are so high it attracts. A lot of energy and it attracts a lot of paranormal energy. So he has stated that he is in constant communication with the spirits of the victims of those murders, of Sharon Tate, JC Bring, Wojciech Farkowski, Abigail Folger, and Steve Parent. And according to him, the house also attracts other energies within that radius so he's also in communication with rudolph valentino and gene harlow no shit oh yes shit and he opens his house up to ghost investigations for people who are skeptics who are interested in learning more about the paranormal but um while we were at his house we were experiencing things that we couldn't even explain really So, there's this thing with the figurines, and you can see it on his website too, and even on shows because his house has been on a number of paranormal shows. So, in his theater room, it's a very active room, and the spirits communicate by pushing forward these figurines of these Beetlejuice characters,
0: Mm.
1: and they just would knock them down.
0: I hate that movie too. I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw it for the first time when I was 28, so it wasn't really—it's not. Yeah, wasn't really doing for me. <laughs> no, <I> love <laughs> Beetlejuice. I like the music.
2: Yeah, no, yeah, Danny
1: Elfman. Right? <laughs> I love Michael Keaton. <laughs> but uh, while we were watching footage in the theater of all this paranormal-like activity that he's collected—oops, sorry—that um, because his house is also rigged with a bunch of cameras so he is collecting data 24 7 mm-hmm. and while we were watching the video of these figurines being knocked forward they were knocking them down while mm-hmm. we were watching the video so they're being very sassy ghosts they're mm-hmm. like huh you want to see this mm-hmm. happen in real life here it goes oh, boom yeah and then every 15 minutes boom and david even mentioned to us like they don't do this back to back they must really like you guys because we're not yelling like these people on the video they're freaking out when this little doll i mean this little figurine sorry pushes forward mm-hmm. and people flip out and we're just like oh something fell forward <laughs> yeah and, so,
2: and I, so whatever that means like yeah. literally like okay well something's happening like, but it was i've on, seen like a very solid piece of furniture oh yeah. and some of them he's like nailed to like Pieces of wood because they fall over so much and they've like broken over the years, mm-hmm. mm. and those were still falling down. Like, oh, yeah, it, like this doesn't make sense. Like, it wasn't on like you know what I mean, like an Ikea table that's like rickety and shaking, it's like a solid, like hundreds of pounds mantle. Mm. Like, it was very odd. I don't know, it was great. I like, and was he was stabilized. so nice, and yeah. it was so nice of him to have us, but like. Again, very long answer. Like, <laughs> no idea what the fuck was going on there. I believe okay. that I believe
1: there's an afterlife yeah, because yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I had this, I, I had experienced something in this house that I cannot
0: explain. So do folks, so it's next door or more or less to the It's the like t-
1: technically two doors away.
0: So you, you can kind of see that area and...
1: Oh, yeah. It's a yeah. private drive, and, you know, he communicates with his neighbors, like, hey, I'm having these people come in and visit. Um, some of them just come on their own volition, and they just mm. want to see
0: the gate. Really?
1: Yeah, because it's a private driveway, right. and, uh, like, from where, like, her original gate stood, it was like, I want to say a block away from, you know, the entrance of the house is a block away from the actual house. Yeah, but so. you can
2: see it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's very close. Right? Yeah, it's extremely
0: close. Oh, before I forget... Um, because uh, I'm sure we're closing mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, Damon Harriman the fellow who's playing Manson for Hunter*, was actually also cast by Tarantino in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to play Manson again no so, way and tarantino i don't think at that time knew that he was already doing it with venture for mindhunter so oh, he comes no. for the audition and you're like oh wow that's a spot on manson where'd you get that oh, you know my gosh. uh so wow. but what how cool is like because if you were to watch mindhunter you're gonna see it and think like oh, how cool it be to see this manson out and about actually doing the the things and then yeah, the other way around like wouldn't it be cool to have this manson be in mind so you're going to get them both Love it. i don't know if that's ever happened I, no. i'm sure it had, like a cross character world wow that's really cool and uh and credit to him i mean it's a testament to how great he is i've only I, i've seen him in a thing or two um he's in a great small role in Breaking Bad and he's just one of those actors who no matter, you know, if I have one scene I'm going to smash it. Wow. And he's a sweet, well-spoken, well-kept fellow, but in Breaking Bad, you guys both seen that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so Jesse and Mike go to this house and they need to get these uh, meth heads out of the house because they'd oh, stolen yeah. their wares i remember that so jesse yeah. starts digging with the shovel mm-hmm. to get him out and then he sneaks inside and there's a fellow in there just freaking out with a shotgun and he's just a train wreck uh, and it's damon hairman he's a wow. chameleon actor i'm so excited to yeah. see what he brings to those
1: I did not know that. That's
2: so great. So they actually, for the Quentin Tarantino movie, they film on location. They are on... Do they? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow.
1: They filmed, yeah. Yeah. Tarantino (laughs) even managed to get every single make and model of the car. Cars that were driven by the victims, by the family... I also have a girlfriend that worked in wardrobe and she was telling me like all the stuff that was happening. Even like they shot at J.C. Brings Salon. Wow. Mm
0: -hmm. Did you guys see Hateful Eight? Yeah. Yeah. Little movie (laughs) trivia here. So Jennifer Jason (laughs) Leigh starts playing that guitar in the cabin. Oh, yeah. That guitar is a real actual piece of history. Uh, That guitar was built in the 1800s. And it was in a museum, and Tarantino convinced them, please just let us carefully take it out of the museum and play it. Oh, my God. And then then we'll make an exact replica. (laughs) And then we'll smash that exact replica against a pillar. Uh, Some communication snafus happened, and Kurt Russell uh, was not aware... Uh, they were working with the real guitar and uh, fully in the moment, picks it up and smashes it into that pillar. You watch it oh, smash no. into s- smithereens, and you actually get if you're watching and you know that background, you can see Jennifer Jason Lee. She just starts screaming, Whoa, 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 and looking around the room, and you realize that that's not in character. She's completely dropped character and she's looking over at Tarantino, screaming, Whoa, whoa, what's happening? Uh, cut, cut. Yeah. And <laughs> and the museum was super pissed. They oh, said it was yeah. it was uh, it was irreparable and all that. But I, I I'm a little disappointed in their perspective. I, I would have put that broken, shattered mess of a guitar back in a case, yes. and then had a little video on a loop of of Russell smashing it. Uh, that just only makes museum goers that much more interested. Yeah. You could have a replica next to what it really looked like, but that guitar just became instantly cooler. What's it going to sit in a case where nobody plays it? Now it's going to sit in a case and nobody's going to play it. Yeah. Then it's going to have an interesting yeah. story behind it. But they didn't try to piece it back together. Anymore. Oh, wow. They just got rid of it. Yeah. yeah I Damn. guess I'm, oh. I'm so bummed about that. Yeah.
2: That is kind of a bummer. I'd like a piece of that. Yeah.
1: Could have at least tried to put Dear it together. Netflix. <laughs>
2: Dear Tarantino. Yeah. yeah.
1: Shall we, should we bring this to a close
0: Let's then? Let's do it.
1: Let's do it. Thank you so much, Cameron, thank for so much. gracing us with your presence. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> thank you
0: for the pizza, and the la croix. Oh,
1: it was perfection. We yeah. had Cameron Britton, we had Lacroix we had pizza. What else? Great conversation. What else is there? Yeah.
0: <laughs> we're gonna have to do another one about Groff. Just a full.
2: Can Grof we? Talk. I didn't get to cover my. Oh my god! That, my... It's a ten-part mini series. Yeah. Can
1: we get Groff here? <laughs> you
2: know? We honestly, I think that is how I'll leave this apartment. A ghost or Jonathan Groff walks through that door. Like, no, I'm not doing
1: this. No. <laughs> Where can um, everyone find you, Cameron, on Twitter and on Instagram, Facebook? Do you have any handles you want to share?
0: Um, You're like, I really don't yeah, tweet. <laughs> pretty easy to find me on the. You just like just Google exact me. handles, actually. I think <laughs> Twitter and Instagram, are like Cameron Britton H or something. But mm-hmm. it's a picture of me looking quite serious in this black jacket Love with it. a nice haircut. Um, I'm on there. I'm verified, so it'll be, make it easier. Okay
1: yeah well guys we wanted to also make this our last episode for season two we are going to be taking a break season two break because we need it and it's good for our health (laughs) Ah. plus we'll be you know working a lot in december Mm. i'll be very busy and traveling so don't worry we'll be back in january with more interviews and more awesome stories the true crime and the booze and everything but remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hollywood Paranormal and on Twitter at HWP Podcast. And you can listen to our episodes and past episodes on iTunes, Google Play, CastBox, Blueberry, Spotify, SoundCloud, and wherever you get your podcast fix. All right. Thank you, Cameron. Thank you. <laughs> Yay. <Yeah.
0: laughs>
1: now, can you text Jonathan Groff for us,
0: oh my please? God. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>
1: Well, guys, that is our season two finale, but don't fret. We'll be back in early January. If you follow us on all of our social media, then you'll be in the loop with when we're going to start with our season three, and it's going to get even better, guys. So we wanted to take the time to thank a couple of people who made season two phenomenal. We wanted to take the time to thank Pasadena Playhouse, Cali Mazariego, David Oman, and Cameron Britton for taking the time to sit with us and speak with us and work with us, share spooky tales and tales of true crime. But most of all, we wanted to thank you all, all of our listeners, who've been with us since the very beginning. We know who you are, our booze, and to those who just jumped onto this crazy Hollyweird train with us. It's been an amazing journey, and it's going to get even crazier with season three approaching. So we wanted to take the time and just say thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being Hollyweird. And most of all, thank you for being our booze. Okay, till next time, guys. Always remember, stay Hollyweird.